0: Governor Kemp, the Fulton DA, and the Trump Probe Timeline.
1: I think it's appropriate for witnesses that have information in that investigation to testify.
0: Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the AJC. If you're just listening to us for the first time, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode of Politically Georgia. Patricia, how was your weekend in the start of your week? Because it already feels like it's been a long, long time.
2: (laughs) I know. It's Tuesday. It feels like next Sunday. Um, But it's been great so far. I
0: am down here after a weekend in Nashville. I'm down here in Noonan, the Nashville of southwest central Georgia. Um, and I just went to a uh, campaign event with Raphael Warnock, and if you hear a little bit of sprinkling above me, it's because the skies have opened up. During the campaign event, it was so thick, the air was so thick with humidity, it was like kind of breathing through straws, it felt like. And now everything's just, <laughs> the clouds have exploded and it feels a lot better, I'm sure, um, although it's it's also pouring rain. So. Coming up later, we'll talk about that campaign event with Senator Warnock and the latest from the Senate trail. But first, you know, this is the story that I think we, me and you, when we go on TV, we get asked more questions about the special grand jury probe, by far, at least I do, than about the 2022 campaign trail. I think we all thought that, you know, around this time, we'd be inundated with questions about Stacey Abram versus Brian Kemp and Warnock versus Walker. Instead, We are getting hounded by it's. It's a good thing, I think, but we're getting hounded by questions. The latest developments in the special grand jury probe, and we have some pretty significant develops this week, Patricia.
2: We do, and you're so right. You know, we are used to getting headlines out of Fannie Willis's office every day or every other day for all manner of criminal investigations. But these headlines coming out of Fannie Willis's office about the special jur- special grand jury are making national headlines. And I'm, I mean, it's like the top one or two stories on all of these newscasts that we go on. If you pop the New York Times or the Washington Post, every small movement has to do with this. Grand jury investigation and exactly how much closer is Donald Trump getting to possibly being brought up on charges and indicted. And so um, it is for local news consumers who may be getting sort of um, you know just used to seeing these headlines come and go. it remains a very top national story because of its huge national implications.
0: You might be the se- most serious criminal investigation that Donald Trump could face. Of course, he has not been subpoenaed yet that we know of. He's not, certainly not been charged with anything yet. But as as Patricia said, this special grand jury could end up recommending charges against Trump, against his allies. We don't know. Uh, and then it's up to the DA, Fonnie Willis, to decide whether to bring forward indictment. Right now, though, the, the latest in this special grand jury probe, which is all done behind closed doors. It's really fascinating, though. We know that Rudy Giuliani, Trump's personal attorney uh, has been informed through his lawyers that he is a potential target of criminal investigation. We know that the 16 Georgia fake electors were at least notified that they could be targets. There's a whole re- side wrinkle with Burt Jones who's technically not really a target right now because of some other court shenanigans that we've talked about in the past, but we also know that this investigation I think we've we said it's broadening and tightening at the same time. It's The subpoenas have gone out to more members of Trump's inner circle, more people very closely aligned with Donald Trump. At the same time, it's kind of tightening in on those key loyalists and allies who are directly involved in the efforts to overturn the elections in Georgia and elsewhere.
2: Yeah, and I was a little bit surprised to hear Fannie Willis say this week in a news conference that she's only spoken with about 60% of the people that she wants to get to. And that really does refer specifically to all of those people who are trying not to come in and testify. And what is so fascinating is when you go through these court documents and these judges' decisions, they really are laying out who needs to come in, which is so far is just about everybody except for Bert Jen's, and saying why they need to come in, because in some cases they are a material witness to something that could have been a crime here in the state of Georgia. And so although Governor Kemp has had his testimony delayed it will happen. And the judge said it's going to happen. It just won't be until after his own election. And those fake electors, they're coming in too. You know, some outstanding people we still need to keep an eye on are um, Senator Lindsey Graham, who is continuing to fight his subpoena and doing it on a lot of sort of novel constitutional grounds. And so some of these decisions, especially the ones in federal court, I think are going to set precedent for future investigations for either Other other Trump investigations or other investigations of this nature involving a president because a former president I hate to say um, it may not be the last time that we see something like this either for Trump or for as we sort of get to this level of partisan warfare we may see other former presidents brought up on special grand jury investigations you know we just don't know so I this this is feeling like the beginning of Something that is not limited to simply this grand jury investigation.
0: And you mentioned that Judge Robert McBurney's rulings could end up creating precedent, could end up kind of creating a framework for which other uh, investigations rely upon. You coined a term in one of our staff meetings called McBurns because we've been seeing a lot of scathing rulings from Robert McBurney, a former federal prosecutor who was appointed to a Fulton County Superior Judgeship by Nathan Deal about a decade ago, almost a decade ago, and who is now at the very center of not just this ongoing special grand jury pro, but also a number of other high profile cases in Georgia. And he issued one of those McBurns um, a few days ago when he essentially said that the Governor Kemp's attempts to quash his subpoena weren't gonna fly with him. You know, he said you can't claim sovereign immunity in a civil action that could end up being a criminal action like that could transform into a criminal action like this special grand jury probe can. But he said, you can wait until after the election because we're so close to the November election. The governor's camp was worried about leaks. They were worried, frankly, you know, we can say it. They, they might not say it, but they're worried about any sort of indication, any suggestion that Brian Kemp is cooperating with an investigation that could harm Donald Trump. We know that those two are not exactly allies. Governor Kemp isn't, isn't the one who has taken shots at Donald Trump. It was Donald Trump, of course, who made Brian Kemp his top target. Right now, they've reached this sort of neutral neutrality that I don't think Governor Kemp wants to jeopardize. Polls show him with 95 percent or so of support from Republicans, including a lot of diehard Trump supporters. So he's not eager to uh, to change that dynamic by looking like he's you know out there trying to help an investigation that could end up with a Trump indictment. So he wants this this uh, this testimony to come after the election at the very minimum and it's going to come after the election. Robert McBurney made that very clear in his ruling, but also said it's going to come. So it was a mixed bag for Fonnie Willis and for Governor Kemp.
2: Now, let me make clear. I'm positive I did not coin the term McBurns, although it's oh, the best gonna, thing on the I internet. I going to credit you. Yeah. I'm sure somebody more clever. I'm sure I read that somewhere. I don't know if I'm really quite that clever, but I do love reading his opinions, because they are, first of all, so full of um, really in-depth legal reasoning, and then also kind of just some top-line clever, cleverishness, I know that's not a word, um, but just sort of makes it very readable, and it really gives some very serious pushback especially these people who are trying not to come in and testify.
0: You know, Patricia, I've known him or at least I've covered him for the better part of more than a decade now because I used to cover Robert McBurney when he was the kind of go-to federal prosecutor handling anti-terrorism cases in the federal court back when I worked for the Associated Press and covered legal issues first and foremost, and I got to spend many hours in courtrooms with him as he made arguments uh, involving some of the most high-profile federal cases in Georgia and he was also involved in a potential investigation surrounding the governor's office back when the governor deal was was in office involving ethics allegations and, and other issues that were a major factor in the 2014 campaign for governor so he he knows his way around politics he knows his way around the courtrooms and it has been fascinating one of the sort of the keys of his rulings are these footnotes too? Because they've become must-reads in and of themselves. Well, let's talk about where Fonnie Willis sees this investigation going. Because at a recent press conference, that with an, over an unrelated issue, this is uh, this was a press conference announcing uh, new indictments targeting gang activity. Of course, she was asked about the progress in the special grand jury. Here's what she said.
1: I think we're about 60% through of all of the people that we need to be brought up. I'm pleased with the pace that we're going. Um, You know, there can't be any predictions, as you know. Many people are uh, unsuccessfully fighting our subpoenas. Uh, We will continue to fight to make sure that the grand jury and the public gets the truth. Um, And I am very hopeful that by the end of this year, I'll be able to send the grand jury on their way.
0: She was also asked if she ever thought, you know, at the beginning of the special grand jury, that it might conclude its task you know, sooner than later before the November election?
1: No, I knew we were going to wait till after. I've been very specific and... um Determined to uh, get rid of that accusation that this is just some political stunt and we were trying to uh, impact the election. As you may recall, I did not call the first witnesses until we were after those primaries, and I made it very well known to the judge who's over this, as well as my team, that I would not do anything until after the election. Um, So they'll have to accuse me of something else. They can get rid of that one.
0: You can definitely tell, Patricia, that the allegations by Republicans and Donald Trump allies that this is a politicized investigation that, in their words, a political windshot really got under Fannie Willis's skin.
2: Yes. And she has been working since before the investigation began to emphasize, in her opinion, how apolitical this is. And I talked to her even before she began the investigation and even before it was really thought that it would ever get this far. And she said, you know, I am going to follow the facts. And if the facts lead me here, that's the only thing that's going to influence this. It doesn't matter if you are somebody who sleeps on the streets, it doesn't matter if you are the former president of the United States, the laws in Fulton County have to stand for something. And that's what the prosecutor's office is for. And so she has always emphasized that that's always been what she's led with. But of course, the closer and closer, as we've gotten to this election, the more politicized it has become, certainly from Republicans who are looking to avoid coming in in front of the special grand jury. And then even for Willis, I mean, she is an elected Democrat, she frequently says that she is an elected Democrat, and that her bosses are voters. And so she wants to behave accordingly. And they knew what they voted for when they elected her, and she's going to keep being that person. Um, however, when she uh, decided to hold a fundraiser for Charlie Bailey, I think that just kind of opened up this accusation from Republicans, the accusation was coming in Anyway, it did not matter if she held this fundraiser or not, mm-hmm. for the purposes of accusing her of being partisan. But by holding a fundraiser for Charlie Bailey, who is Burt Jen's opponent in November, it just it just fed straight into it just that, fueled it. Um, straight into that storyline.
0: Yeah, and as you mentioned, she was elected with a mandate, and she had a lot of Republican supporters. So she had there's there's plent- a lot, yes. plenty of Fulton County residents who wanted the incumbent at the time, Paul Howard, out of office and backed her in droves. And so now she has that mandate. And, you know, this is by far, she is a good juggler. Let's put it that way. This is by far, uh, this is far from the only thing she's doing. It's the most high profile investigation she's launched. But just as we mentioned in the middle of the show, this press conference where she was asked all these questions, was actually involving an unrelated major gang investigation that she was announcing that day. So that is just one of many, many things that Fannie Willis is up to right now. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.
1: Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents. Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want to blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution
0: are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And we're back to the Politically Georgia podcast from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy. And we are two of the political insiders at the AJC, and we're two of the authors of The Morning Jolt, which sets the stakes and the agenda in George politics. You can get it delivered directly to your inbox. I mean, you don't even have to do a thing. It just pops right in your mailbox. If you're a subscriber to the AJC, you can join the community right now, this moment, by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. In your first month of unlimited digital access, is just 99 cents. That includes the Jolt and everything else, even our Braves coverage and our UGA football coverage, which is about to be in higher demand. That subscribe at ajc.com slash podcasts so you always know what's really going on. And over the weekend, there was a lot going on. There was three concurrent events on Saturday, they were each newsworthy in their own right. Ted Cruz was here to headline a major. Republican conservative super PAC function along with Herschel Walker at a separate event down in middle Georgia at the famous fish fry of the eighth district. Governor Kemp and Herschel Walker both spoke separately to crowds of dozens, really kind of more like more than a hundred, easily more than a hundred Republican supporters. And then of course, Democrats held their major state party convention in Columbus where all the Democratic top brass gave speeches and to a degree, it was an event of unity, but also it's sort of highlighted a little bit of disunity as well. And let's talk a little bit about that because the, maybe the biggest news came out of who was seen with who at these events. We know that Herschel Walker has yet to campaign with Governor Kemp. We know that Herschel Walker has snubbed the governor several times, wouldn't say whether he voted for him in the May primary, hasn't said much about the governor at all. Said during the in the run up to the primary that he was mad at Governor Kemp and David Perdue for fighting. Well, now Herschel Walker is the one who needs the governor's help. He's close to Warnock in the polls or behind Warnock in the polls. Well, meanwhile, Governor Kemp is the most popular Republican official in Georgia, and we might be seeing a change of tone. What we do know, we didn't see them campaign together, Patricia, but we did see the first picture, at least that I've seen, of Herschel Walker and Brian Kemp, along with Lieutenant Governor nominee Burt Jones, backstage at this fish fry.
2: Yes. So, And along with that photo with Governor Kemp and Burt Jones and Herschel Walker, as you said, Ted Cruz was in town in Atlanta for his Truth and Courage pack, which is TNC, Ted Cruz. That's his super PAC mm-hmm. supporting his presidential ambition. So he's in. he was in our battleground state of Georgia and had Herschel Walker up there on stage with him. And the night before, on Friday night, Herschel Walker had been in Louisville, Kentucky, where Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell was holding a fundraiser for him. Fundraiser for him, Dr. Oz, who is also in a little bit of a pickle in his home, own home state, um, and also Ted Budd from North Carolina. And so, although Republicans are slightly Slightly wary of Walker and some of his past statements, some of his sort of obvious deficiencies as a candidate so far. I would say, first of all, he is getting stronger on the stump. I've sort of seen him over the arc of this campaign. He's getting stronger. Also, I think they have also made the calculation Georgia is a winnable state under the right conditions. Herschel Walker is our candidate let's do everything we can to win this thing. Yeah. And so that seems to be the the mutual agreement that's going on here. And it serves absolutely nobody in the Republican Party to keep this storyline of a feud going. Now, I don't understand quite why Herschel Walker has not been more effusively praising Governor Kemp. That just seems like the easy political move to make. As you said, Like Kemp has the highest numbers in the state. He's the most popular Republican in the state he's one of the most popular politicians in the state, uh, if not the most popular right now based on our polling. And so that would only be to Herschel Walker's benefit. That is one piece of the puzzle I have not quite solved for myself. Yeah. Um, But so, however, for Kemp and his team, you know, it's easy to see why they're not out there campaigning as a ticket because when you're up in the polls, you'd really rather not be with people who are, you know, a meaningful amount uh, down in the polls compared to where you are.
0: Yeah, Kemp doesn't have as much incentive, but it, look, you know, he, he he would welcome Senate Republican spending, right? It gives him a little bit more air cover. Bashing Senator Warnock on the airwaves helps to make Stacey Abrams look a little worse, too. It helps make Democrats look a little worse. So so in general, like you know, yes, the, the two candidates aren't that aligned. They don't have much to do with each other. They don't have a long history like the other side of the ticket, which we're about to talk about. But at the same time, I'm sure if... You gave the governor a truth serum. He'd love, to a degree, to have some sort of coordination with the Herschel Walker campaign. We haven't seen that yet. And it's very bizarre. You're right. It's very curious. I wrote an item for Monday's blog about what we learned from the GOP convention and a Republican fish fry and Ted Cruz. And I was kind <laughs> of inundated with messages from several high-ranking Republicans and former Republicans who really don't have aren't really taking sides, you know, necessarily in this Republican race, aren't aligned with either Kemp or with Herschel Walker, but said, you know, one of them said, if I was Herschel Walker, I'd be down on my knees begging Governor Kemp for some love, right? Because of what you just said, because he's polling so high among Republicans. There are reasons why Herschel Walker might not, you know, you don't want to antagonize Donald Trump. Donald Trump's maintained that truce we talked about earlier. Um, you don't want to do anything that could risk that or, or sort of alienate some of his hard, hardcore supporters because, of course, Donald Trump endorsed Herschel Walker. But I don't know. It's You know, in a race this close, you look for any edge. And we've seen yet another poll that basically shows Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock neck and neck. So you want to use every edge you have. And you have this pretty powerful tool two months out in Governor Brian Kemp, who's really good at retail campaigning. And, and maybe Herschel Walker could learn a little bit about stump speaking and and all that stuff from Governor Kemp because he's done it for so long. I mean, Governor Kemp has been on the campaign trail, it seems, since he was in diapers. So... so, uh, so <laughs> but, camp is a natural at it, right? This is part of his being and he's, he seems most at home when he's on the campaign trail. And so, you know, he's it, it, natural out there. Um, Herschel Walker's had to learn on the fly, as you mentioned. He's gotten better on the stump. But it, it is hard to believe that they haven't really campaigned together in public at all. But it's also hard to believe that they won't until November. I fully expect them to do some events. Do I expect them to kind of t- take their show on the road like Ossoff and Warnock? did? Nah. No. But do I? Ex- I do expect an event here and there to show Republican unity, because as we remember, it was Herschel Walker who always said, why can't we have a unity rally? (laughs) Why can't we all get together? Well, we haven't seen that quite yet.
2: Yeah. And also, the closer we get, the more that both sides know that they've got to get their base out. And the Republicans have shown exactly what happens if your base is not unified. If you don't have both the Trump wing and the not Trump wing out there voting all simultaneously for your candidates, Georgia is getting harder and harder to win if you don't have your base 100% behind you and physically at the polls or filling out their absentee ballots and casting their ballots for you. Republicans cannot afford that kind of division. They can't even afford rumors of a division at this point. And so I agree with you. I think that's why we'll absolutely expect to see those candidates out together, even if they're not exactly excited about it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, let's talk about the Democratic side of the ledger because it is messy as well. And at the Democratic convention, we were again reminded that hey, everyone rooting for each other, and they're all you know, they're all Democrats, are all the same party. But we we also still have yet to see in a major public rally, Stacey Abrams and Senator Raphael Warnock together campaigning. We certainly seen them at similar events together when Joe Biden comes to town or things like that, major Democratic events. But they have not been on the campaign trail together. I fully expect them to be on the campaign trail together at some point before November as well but theirs is a different situation. Senator Warnock is very close to Stacey Abrams. I mean Stacey Abrams probably gets more credit than anyone and should get more credit than anyone for um helping to clear the field for Raphael Warnock, helping to clear major democratic, you know, potential threats to his special election run after she decided not to run for the US Senate seat that was opened by Senator Isaacson's announcement that he was retiring. And they you know, they go way back. They're very friendly, but at the same time, he's got his race, she's got hers, he's ahead or neck and neck in the polls, she's behind Governor Kemp in most of the polls. They have different strategies. She's more proactively embraced Joe Biden. Senator Warnock has not. He has maintained his, his distance. He said, hey, I welcome you know Biden's support when he can help Georgians, but I also welcome Ted Cruz's support, which is something he reminded everyone at the Noonan rally I, was, I just left. So they have different strategies. And if you're Senator Warnock, you know it's a weird spot because you owe a lot to Stacey Abrams. You're friendly with her. He was asked at this Noonan rally directly whether he would go and campaign with Stacey Abrams. Here's what he said. I think Stacey Abrams uh is an important leader in the state. I've worked with her on a number of fronts. Voting rights, health care. One of the things that I'm very focused on and have been focused on in the Senate is uh six hundred thousand Georgians were in the Medicaid gap. Um, and that's something I'll continue to focus on, uh, which is why I had my Medicaid Saves Lives Bill. But even as I do that work one route of getting that done is for Georgia to expand. We need a governor and a legislator that would, uh, would support that. So, you would
1: get on so the trail with her?
0: I, I am on the trail every single day. Uh, you know, I think that the public want to know who I'm campaigning for or who campaigning for. I'm sure
2: campaigning
0: for. It's hard to hear exactly what he said because of a timely motorcycle rumble. <laughs> and my cell phone doesn't always get the best audio, so apologies to our listeners. That was our friend and colleague Maya King from the New York Times asking that that sort of follow up question, because Senator Warwick didn't answer the question about whether Stacey Abrams would campaign or he would campaign with Stacey Abrams, and so we got kind of a non answer. You know that that yes, he he supports a lot of her policies, and you know he, he, we need a governor who wants to expand Medicaid, which is basically the centerpiece of of Stacey Abrams' election campaign. So certainly he supports her bid for governor. That's no shock whatsoever. But at the same time, when asked directly, he wouldn't answer whether or not they're going to campaign. After I gave a heads up to, the, uh, to the, the campaign operatives, as we were taping this podcast, I got this sort of background from the Warnock campaign, which is to make the assertion that they have not done anything and they will not do anything together is not right. Which is not the assertion we were making, um, <laughs> but, but uh, you know, Warnock's camp and Abrams' camp reminds folks that hey, they've done, they've gone to big Democratic events. They've been at the same events. They've been at the same Biden appearances. They are both at the convention this weekend, but they are just at it at different times. Senator Warnock and other federal candidates spoke in the morning. Stacey Abrams and other statewide candidates spoke in the afternoon. Same situation, Patricia. Do I think we'll hit November? And, you know, there's not, without a joint rally between Stacey Abrams and Ruffin Warnock, no, I think that they're going to have events together. But do I think they'll be on the same bus tour? Not at all. I really think we're going to go back to what we had in 2014, the last time we had a governor's race and a Senate race concurrently in Georgia at the same time, where we had not two, but four separate bus tours all around the state.
2: Yes, and Raphael Warnock and his team are very clearly trying to build an independent brand for Raphael Warnock as somebody who is in Washington, working for Georgians, is progressive, but also working with Republicans. Stacey Abrams is much better known as a progressive, firebrand, voting rights champion, Although when she was in the state house, she did work with Republicans, but that's not what's most known about her. It's also not what's most beloved about her among progressive activists. And so if uh, Warnock and Abrams were to be out campaigning at the same time, that would risk bringing down that independent brand that we know they're looking to establish. And he really already has established in a lot of ways. You just don't want to change anything that worked the last time around. (laughs) And so... He won his race, and Stacey Abrams, for as much as she's beloved by Democrats, did not win her race. And so to muddle those two identities, muddle those two messages, I think represents a risk for Warnock, in some people's opinion. Obviously, like you said, they're going to need those progressive base voters just as much as Republicans need their progressive, not progressive, they need their base voters. So they're going to need that turnout. They're going to need that unified commitment, but they don't necessarily want a unified message if Warnock's message is working better right now than Abrams' message. Now, compare that to candidates down the ticket, somebody like Charlie Bailey. I asked him at his debate, his primary debate, where are you different from Stacey Abrams? On what policy issues do you differ? And he said... I cannot think of any. There's nothing I disagree with Stacey Abrams on. And that is because, first of all, that might be accurate, but also Stacey Abrams is the superstar on that ticket at the state level. And uh, when you talk to the other candidates further down the ballot, she is the reason they got into some of these races. They believe she is the winner in this state, she's going to put together the coalition. She's going to turn out the voters. And so she was a big part, her being at the top of the ticket was a big part. Some of these other candidates even got into the race, in the first place. Warnock, although he worked with Abrams a lot and worked with the New Georgia Project in a leadership capacity for years, which was her baby, and she did clear the field for him, he also is his own independent kind of brand and person. And I think they're working assiduously to maintain that, especially as long as he's pulling higher than she is. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just math.
0: Yeah, it's a very sensitive subject. I totally get it because um, these are two friends. And politics and friendships can be difficult, as one Democratic operative who is not aligned with either of the campaigns noted to me after one of Stacey Abrams' recent events, said friendships go out the window when control of the U.S. Senate is at stake. So this is something we're watching. Again, doesn't symbolize some sort of rift. It just symbolizes that there's a lot of different moving factors here. And I'll be curious to see how things change going up to November but that certainly was a unique answer. It, it was a it was a telling non-answer from Senator Warnock right after his noon event.
2: um yeah, one other thing I'll add is that Democrats I talked to, um, as you would expect, try really hard to steer away from these kinds of personality-driven storylines. They very much believe that the abortion issue is going to change the dynamics of this race much more than, Are they on the same stage? Is Warnock in a picture with Abrams? Where are they? Did they talk to each other? You know, I think they believe that this is sort of like inside uh, reporters' head chatter. the The little wheels in our heads spinning and that voters make no distinction and they are going to be responding to the abortion issue and the candidates they feel like they know.
0: Just like the Republicans think it'll be the economy and inflation, and that all this talk about Herschel or Kemp hanging out together and all that. And look, we've we've devoted hours and hours of talk and reams of uh, <laughs> of of broadsheet paper and and buckets of ink writing about those main factors, right? Um, but every so often, it's interesting to to point out some of the personality intrigues behind those headlines. Well, because it's very real. I mean, yeah. Because these are people. That's
2: half a politics. Guess what? That is very yeah, real out there, too. Po-
0: politics is people and relationships. Well, Patricia, coming up on Friday's episode, we'll answer all the questions we get on the listener mailbag, even the print calls. Maybe. It's up to Shaney B., which you can now add your voice to. It's a politically Georgia podcast hotline you can call it anytime day or night 24/7 leave a question and we'll play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast the number is 770 810 5297 that's 770 810 5297 we we have to share the mailbag with with you know our friends who do the Soccer podcast, Atlanta United podcast, and the football podcast, and the Braves podcast. But so every so often we get a we get a World Series question, uh, but we can answer those for you as well because we're both well versed in Braves <laughs> terminology. Um, not so much Atlanta United, but we got people who can do that.
2: I, I did go to a United game one time. Um, <laughs> ask me about the Braves. <laughs> ask me about the Braves. Jesse Chavez coming back,
0: man. That's <laughs> great news.
2: I used to go to the Braves games with my parents and my sisters when they were called America's team, and the, and our, the slogan was "This could be the year." <laughs> they, and it was like this could be or they have a, a winning record because they lost all the time. One of my best friends. we were friends, there then, and we're there now. <laughs> one of my
0: best friends had season tickets, and I'd go with him sometimes. And there's this picture of Dale Murphy batting, and there's like 16 people in the stands, and we're not sure if we're the people behind Dale Murphy in the stands. You know, there's these two little like little heads. Um, But we're pretty sure that was us. You know, it's blurred out because the Dale Murphy's in focus and not us. (laughs) But we're like, to this day, we're like, I think that might have been the game we went to in 1980, whatever it was. Uh, (laughs) So I was probably there around the same time you were.
2: And we definitely (laughs) might have a kid's jersey right now that says Murphy on it.
0: Uh, well, you should. Yeah. <laughs> and he should be in the Hall of Fame. And that's <laughs> our next episode.
2: <laughs> we'll talk about <laughs> totally. That's going to be an Uncle hour Dale. long. <laughs>
0: yes. yes. Well, that wraps it up for another edition of the Braves, I mean, the Politically Georgia uh, podcast. You can count on new episodes of this podcast to come out every Wednesday, every Friday, whenever news breaks. We'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the AJC.